Well, if you're with us, last week we started a series on the book of 1 Corinthians. And this is the underlying theme that we're looking at through the course of this series. It's how the gospel impacts every area of life. Because Corinth was a very popular, it was a very strategic city in the ancient world. Paul went there and planted a church because in that day, it was the capital of Acacia, a part of the Roman Empire, but all trade went through there. So it was a prosperous one, and Paul believed that having a strong church there would be very strategic for the move of the gospel. So Paul planted, and in Acts 18, it tells the story of Paul going there, planting the church. And so he spent a year and a half there, and when he left, News came to him in a different place that there were problems now at the church in Corinth because all of these new believers were trying to navigate their faith and what the gospel called them to in the midst of a hostile culture, in the midst of situations that were difficult to navigate. So Paul writes this letter and it's brilliant because he defines the problem and then helps everyone to see through the lens of the gospel. How do these, how, how would the gospel address these issues? Remember last week, I brought these out. Now, it can look ridiculous, but the idea is this. The gospel, when you look through it, to other people, it looks ridiculous. But to get a view of how God sees it, it's the willingness to put something on that seems uncomfortable to us, but to see our world differently. And that's the challenge And so in essence, Paul deals with a very, very significant issue. The first one he's going to deal with. So let's set it up today. How many of you would would, would recognize or agree with that in our present culture, we are more divided than any other time I've ever seen? There are so many things that pull people apart. We're divided in our world about things like politics, religion, race, we're divided over well, how, how to raise our kids, how to spend our money, what's entertainment. Just think about this. In the last year and a half, we dealt with a worldwide pandemic, right? But what did it bring? It brings this polarization and this division even worse because now we fight over mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine. And it's a crazy, crazy world. And the tensions have gotten so intense in our day that now... For somebody to have a different opinion than you, people today now categorize that as they're they're my enemy. Now, if someone doesn't agree with me, if someone doesn't see my viewpoint, they're now the problem. And people today walk on eggshells because we're too, we don't want to embarrass or we don't want to uh, offend. And so people are walking because right now the tension's so high that, believe me, I found this to be even in college campuses in America, right here, that people believe to have a different opinion and to speak something different than the party line of what somebody believes is not only hate speech, they believe it's violence. And so people are so polarized today. This is where, that it's developed a cultural reality today. We even coined a phrase to talk about it. It's called cancel culture. Because now, if you don't, if I don't agree with you, I cancel you. Therefore, no matter what you've done, no matter what you said, I, you're dead to me. I could care less about you as a person. I could care less about any of the accomplishments that you've done. You do not matter to me. I cancel you. I cancel you. And we are into this. That's the tensions. Does this bother anybody? Or how about this? 
we deal with some of the same issues in the church. This is what it impacted the Corinthian church. Now, we have people divided in church over all of this. We divide over politics. We try to get somebody to believe. You know, I've had people tell me, you can't be this political party and be a Christian. People will tell me, Pastor Ken, you know, we have we, all of these different issues. How do you dress? What's the appropriate dress to come to church? What's the appropriate music to listen to? What's the alcohol? No alcohol. Some people are so like, no, if you have any alcohol, you cannot be a Christian. And they try to make the case to me. I'm like, that's a tough one biblically. But yet you have the other side of the coin where people who drink, it's so, it's, it's so uh, uh, divisive in this end that the Bible is clear about drunkenness and then people argue about what it means to be drunk. This is how crazy it is in our world. Just think about how the pandemic affected the church. Because if last year, if you didn't have services, it meant you had no faith. And if you had services, you were the problem because you were making the world a dangerous place for others. And the church was just as divided as anybody else that was out there. Does, that, does this bother anybody but me? And why is it that we can so easily go there? I know I have this. I have to constantly put a check on myself. Because why? We have all of the things where we're, we're trained sometimes, think about this, to look at where things we differ in. I don't know, you know, I drive, into a par, I drive into a big parking lot and all of a sudden bumper stickers and I'm like, ooh, why does that make me feel that way? Right? Or, listen, I was in a group, okay? I'm a, we're a part of a, a church collective called Bridges of Hope. We developed this end. Is how different churches from different denominations, different backgrounds work together to serve the community. So I'm on this, so I went to a board meeting, and listen, I was on there, and these churches all have different ways that they deal. They have different ways that they deal things within their church, different ways that they handle things administratively. And I have this tendency, I'm like feeling like, why am I feeling like, wow, I'm wanting to back up? Because why? We're so ready to pull back because division is so much easier than uniting. And so this is the problem that we face. Anybody feel me on this end? So where is the hope for our time? What Paul does is he deals with this issue because why? He asked the church to do something. He asked them to put on the glasses and be able to see the world, this issue of division, through the lens of the gospel. So here's where we're going today. Some, the, the title today is Unity. Why? Because listen, here's the big deal. The gospel calls us to remain united and resist the forces that seek to divide us. To understand the gospel, the gospel is what Jesus did for us and what Jesus is doing in us. And if you understand the gospel, why did Jesus come? What did Jesus accomplish? When you look at humankind, why is it so easy for us to divide? Because from the onset of sin's introduction into the human race, the very first thing it did was bring division. It divided men from God, and it divided people from one another. Why? Because the very first couple, when it happens, start pointing their fingers and blaming one another. Division is a part of that fallen human nature that the enemy, and this is what you need to recognize, the enemy fosters this. Why? Because Jesus gave us an insight. He said, a house 
divided against itself can not stand. Satan's chief tool, he uses it to divide marriages. He uses it to divide families. He uses it to divide businesses. He uses it to divide communities. He uses it to divide churches. Why is the church so splintered? Have you ever asked the question, why are there so many denominations? Why is there so much infighting? I mean, it's, it's horrible, but all you have to do is just go on social media or YouTube and you realize the church has become a master at fighting with itself. But it defies the purpose of the gospel because why did Jesus come? He came to reconcile humanity to God and to one another. In other words, listen to me, you can't read the New Testament without realizing that not only did Jesus die, shed his blood, go to the cross, to bring us back to God, he did so to unite us together as one. And it's not and or. It's and both. Because here, the New Testament tells us, you cannot say, I am right with God and be wrong with your brother and sister. But we have every form of biblical justification why it's okay. Because you know what we do? The Bible tells us the Bible can be called, one of the, one of the metaphors it gives for it is the sword of the Spirit, but we forget who the sword was intended for. Jesus used it when tempted by the devil, and he said it is written to, to actually defend the truth and resist the devil, right? But you know what we become accustomed to? Using the sword against one another. We use it to kill each other. And the truth is it's a misuse because, listen, when the word of God is used correctly, it will always divide the church from the devil, but it will never divide the church from the church. I think I need to say that again because I don't think you got that. When the, when the Bible is used correctly, it will always divide the church from the devil, but it will never divide the church from the church. And the mission of Christ was to reconcile us to God. And unite us together as one. Because what did Jesus invite us to be? The church is also called the body of Christ. In other words, we are all in this together. So the gospel calls us to stand united against the forces that seek to divide us. See, that's the problem too often. When we're, when we're tempted to go and, and, and want to get on sides... You know, you have a marital spout, spout, you know, a spat, a spat in a spout, you know. <laughs> Two spouses have a spat, yeah, yeah. Say that 10 times quick. But listen to me. You have an argument with somebody you love and you feel hurt. What do you want to do? Find somebody to sympathize you and take your side. And we do that with God, right? But I love this story in the Old Testament. Because when the people of God were coming into the land, Joshua, the very first challenge was the city of Jericho. So he's nervous about all this, and he goes for a walk the night before they were to go. And uh, the Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in full armor. And his immediate response was, are you for us or are you for them? And you know what he said? It's so amazing. You've got to read it for yourself. He said, neither. So you know what we always try to do? We always try to get God on our side. But I want you to know, God doesn't take sides. God comes to take over. The issue is this. It's not your opinion because you know what divides us? 
is that we have never discerned what's our opinion, what's our preference versus what did God really say. Because if we have the heart of God, we're always going to be working to remain together because the enemy is always working to set us apart. And why would I say it's the heart of God? Because listen to me. The apostle John was there the night Jesus prayed it. In John chapter 17, it tells us what Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. And you can read it for yourself because he said this, the last thing he asked the Father. How many of you would think that Jesus would pray something that was not the will of God? And how many of you would believe that Jesus would pray something he didn't think was possible? That's the bigger one to ask you. Because Jesus prayed this, Father, make them one as you and I are one. And why did he pray that? He went on to say, then the world will know that you sent me and that you love them like you love me. So if that's the heart of Christ, what is the enemy going to fight the most about is to stop what Jesus prayed, what stop what Jesus had in mind when he did it. And so here's the issue, which you and I need to begin to recognize. Paul begins his appeal. And he says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. This is in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you said. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say agree on every point. He said agree on what you say. In other words, our speech should remain the same because when we're speaking the gospel, the gospel is what unites us together. We were saved by the blood of Christ. We were saved what? By grace, through faith, that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, let anyone would boast. You ask that, sometimes when we misunderstand the gospel, we can have an edge of superiority when we're in culture, when we fail to realize what's the gospel. We were once sinners, alienated from God, and God so loved me that he sent his one and only son, but he didn't just do it for me. He did it for you and you and you, because when I put on the gospel glasses, I see every person I interact with is somebody that Jesus died for. So in essence, the gospel is what Jesus did to unite us together. So when we have the heart of Christ, we're going to work at remaining the same. So we need to say the same thing. He said that there what? There be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Why he doesn't mention that we need to agree on everything is because God understands we're different at times, okay? We have different likes. Those are personal preferences, and those are okay. In fact, when you begin to follow Christ, we also have what I call personal convictions. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're allowing your relationship with God to be real to you, there are things that God will tell you for you, no, that's not good. But what we tend to do, and I counsel people on this, we fail to realize that personal convictions need to remain just that, personal. In other words, what is for you is not necessarily what is for everybody else. But then we feel like we take over the Holy Spirit's job and we become the church police. And because this is not good for me, then it can't be good for you. And so I'm going to tell you what I think you ought to do. See, people have personal preferences. Do you listen to only Christian music? Do you listen to secular? Oh, secular music? Oh my God, Pastor Ken, I thought you were saved. Do you drink alcohol or not alcohol? 
Do what you wear, what you prefer. People do that. We pull all of this stuff into church. We're like, no, I'm not going to worship today because I don't like the music that they're playing. That's not my, that's not my choice. But we fail to realize, okay, that we have come into a kingdom. And what does it mean to be a part of a kingdom? It means there's one king. And the church is not a democracy. We don't have a vote. That we tend to do that. We tend to, but no, it's what does the scriptures exhort us to do, which is to come together and find ways to build our common unity together. Do you know why the enemy uses this to divide marriages? If you think about it this way, how, do, um, how does a marriage remain strong? How does a family remain strong? How does a church remain strong? By remembering all the things that bring it together and not focusing on the areas where there are differences. Because we have so much more in common than we do in difference. But you know what will happen? When you will let your attention be on where you're differing, you can turn a molehill into a mountain that becomes immovable. Then, then we call it divorce. We call it irreconcilable differences. Have you forgotten the price that heaven paid to reconcile you to God? Then why would we not be willing to work at every part of coming together? The power of the gospel. Why did Paul believe so much that the gospel was the answer? Because he remembered he used to be Saul, a divider. He used to be Saul who thought to destroy Christianity. And he became Paul and became the number one proponent of the bride of Christ. Bringing people out of every kindred, tribe, people and nation together as one. Because listen to me, that's the vision of heaven. Do you know what division is? The word division comes from a unity of two words. The word die in Greek means two, okay? Which is where we get dice from, and we throw two dice, right? Die means two. Vision is what you see. See, the question is, do you have the vision of Christ? Or division is a separate vision of what you think. It's when my preferences, my opinions, my way of doing it, it trumps everything else and you better do it my way because my way is the highway. And that's the thing we fail to realize. Because why? Listen to me. The problem with division, it causes us to forget that the church is a community united around Jesus. What is it that brought us all together? Jesus. What else brought us all together? All of us had baggage. All of us had problems. And coming to Jesus, we begin the process. This is why you have to preach the gospel to yourself. Because it begins in bringing us into the kingdom. But there is a separate reality that has to continue. And it's only the gospel that has the power to change us from the inside out. But you have to allow the gospel to work what only the gospel can do. And when we're reminded of what the gospel tells us who we have become, we remember the price paid for us. We begin to recognize that the gospel continues to work. This is what we call Christi in Christianity, I'm going to use a big theological word, sanctification. It's simply the ongoing process of conforming us to be like Jesus. Because what we have to recognize is that when we accept Christ, something changed in us. But we also have a part of us that's still changing. That's why the Bible tells us that the renewing of our mind is the transformation of our lives. And you have to work at that. that has, that's an ongoing process. Because here's something I learned years ago, a little, little rhyme that has really, I remind myself of it often. 
Two natures beat in my chest. One is vile, one is blessed. One I love, one I hate. But the one I feed will dominate. See, one of the reasons why it's so easy for you to divide is that you've been feeding yourself on YouTube, social media, Instagram, Facebook, and all the stuff that's so divisive, you need to unplug it. Because why it goes totally against what Jesus is all about. Why is it that we feel that those mediums are the way we can air all of our differences and we put it all in caps like we are in charge and all of you are idiots if you don't see what I see? Am I speaking truth? Come on. Why do we struggle with all of this? But we forget, and that's the first aspect of the enemy, to cause you to forget who you are. See, you were called out of darkness. And now into the light. In other words, you're not supposed to act any longer like you used to act because that's not who you are. So why do you hang around people that don't encourage you with who you are? And why is it we are so easily pulled into the divisive ways? See, if you had on gospel glasses, when people go, come over here. Do you know so-and-so? And they want to pull you into their mess? You're like, excuse me. These are not garbage cans. I'm not going to listen. Because why? That's divisive. No, I'm not letting the enemy have a stronghold in me. Where I'm looking at all the things that divide us. I'm going to keep fighting for the things that unite us. Why? Because the, Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians that to understand the gospel, Jesus, the Bible tells us, he broke down every barrier, every wall, all the things that once divided human beings. Now it's all been broken down in Christ. And now we are all living stones built up to one temple. That's why things like racism can never survive in the true heart of a Christian. There's, there's no, sexism can't survive there. Because why? Now in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. Because why? We are all made new in Christ Jesus. But when you allow yourself to get pulled into the politics and all the divisiveness of the stuff around you, whether you realize it or not, that's the deceitful work of the enemy causing you to be an agent of division as opposed to being a catalyst of unity because it requires that. Listen to me. Paul said this. He said, is Christ divided? Ask yourself the question, is Christ divided? Okay, is there, is there a, a black Jesus, a Hispanic Jesus, a white Jesus, or am I being too real for you? No, the last time I said it, see, Christianity is not a black man's religion, it's not a white man's religion, it's a world religion. It was meant for the whole world. Why would we ever allow the divisiveness of our times to get any hold in the church? Why? Because when you understand the gospel, out of every kindred, every tribe, every people, every nation, he has redeemed us to God by his blood. When you put on gospel glasses, you look at your brothers and sisters and realize, this is someone Jesus died and they may be a hand they may be a foot and who am I to say I don't need them that's the divisiveness of the devil that's how he blunts the gospel that's how he seeks to stop the impact because in a divided world the number one thing that the world needs to see is a united church but look at 2020 where did the church land on all this stuff guys it's time for us to grow because listen to me. He said, Where, was Paul crucified for you? 
You know, we have all these things. No, I am of Jake's. I am a furtick. I am a, we have all of these ways that, you know what, we have our own systems of preferences on these fronts. No, the last time I checked, we are all made one in him. But as a marriage is intended by God, the two would become one, it's a process. It doesn't magically instantly happen. It's when two people continue to celebrate the love that brought them together and build their own legacy of what unites them together, the uniqueness of their union together. And that's the power of unity that keeps us from the divisiveness of our times. Because he goes on to say, see the problem of division, division defies the gospel. What I've been preaching to you on this end, you cannot realize what Jesus went out of his way to make possible How can I be an agent to stop that? If Jesus' vision was that all people would share in common unity as one body, one one bride, one, one unity of people washed in the blood. People who were once alienated and separated from God, but now reconciled to God and to one another by his blood. That's the power of the gospel. And we have to continue to preach it because when we feel the urge to divide, we need to realize where it's coming from and resist the forces that try to do so in us. He said this, Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach what? The gospel. Not with the wisdom of eloquence, but with the cross of Christ. He said, Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The other problem with division is this. Division impedes maturity. Unity requires mature people. Come together, okay? What's impossible with man is possible with God. And it's when our hearts grow and mature because that's why in Ephesians 4 it says, be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace because there's one Father, one God, one Savior, one... You and I need to realize that whenever we're tempted to divide... That's the work of the enemy. And the Bible tells us we should be giving every effort to resist that and stay united because Jesus bought it with his own blood. This is what he died for. This was his number one priority. And if I'm a Christ follower, should it not be my number one priority? If my, if my Savior prayed that we would be one, why would I ever give in, side in with the enemy that would divide something that Christ paid to bring together as one. What God has put together, let no one put asunder. But look at, it's, look at how Paul had to address the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 3.1, he said, brothers and sisters, I, I, he said, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. See, they were immature. He calls them babies. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. What was he accusing the church of? See, when a baby cries, anybody in here that's ever had children, when your child cries, why do they cry? They want your attention, right? Because they need you to do something for them that they can't do for themselves, right? A baby cries because it needs its diaper changed. A baby cries because it wants to be fed. But we all recognize that as infants, that's normal. But if you have a 20-year-old living in your house 
who's still crying and asking you to change their diapers and to make your dinner and they can't do a thing for themselves? Oh, if you can't say amen, say oh me. Because guess what? Don't you expect them to grow up and be able to handle some stuff for themselves? Well, listen carefully to me. If we in the church are always crying because we can't get rid of our own mess, nor do we know how to feed ourselves. What is the problem? We need to grow up because when we're so, what do kids do? When, kids, when, when there's a problem, well, I'm gonna take my marbles and go home. I'm not gonna, be, no, I'm, I'm not your friend anymore. Now we defriend you on Facebook and we just take our marbles and we go to another church because we don't wanna deal with our problems. We don't wanna reconcile our differences. And that is immaturity. See, division impedes growth and maturity because unity is a manifestation of the gospel. But unity requires maturity because all of us are at a state of growing and maturing. None of us got it together. We should be far more uh, uh, gracious and understanding with one another because if we are, we can work through our differences. But you see, it's so much easier to divide. It's so much easier to say, I'm done with you. Cancel you, cancel you. I'm out of here. You're square. You're the problem, and I'm out of here. Isn't that how people react? Isn't that, we get so offended so easy. And as soon as we're offended, we're ready to drop and go. They're the problem. Instead of anxiety, maybe there's something in me that God's wanting to mature in me and I'm not willing because why? When we're feeding our kids when they're young, what do we put them in? We put them in what? The high chair, right? Because they require us to feed them. But you ever know, you put kids in a high chair, they don't, sometimes they play with their food, sometimes they throw their food, they forgot what the food is for. Well, you come into the church, and one of the, one of the stages that lock people into not developing is they get stuck in the eye chair. What do I mean by that? I, 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 I want the music to be this. I want this to be that. I, 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 I. It's all about me. It becomes, because isn't that what a child's world is about? They think they're the center of the universe. Everything revolves around them. But growing in maturity recognizes, no, I'm just one piece and a whole. My job, if I have the heart of Christ, is not to become the center of attention. It's not all about my desires, my preferences, my, my, my way or the highway or no. It's the realization that no, how do we work together? Because that requires love, that requires patience, that requires what? Gentleness. All things that the Spirit is attempting to work in us, to grow us, to be like Jesus. See, unity is God's design of helping us to grow up. See, what does it say in Ephesians? Do we all come into the unity of the faith, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? No longer children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and sliding, cutting craftiness of where men lay in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. That's another area we can't handle the truth. It's kind of like the old movie from, from that, that Tom Cruise was in, Jack Nicholson. He's like, you can't handle the truth. We can't handle it because why? Emotional immaturity in the church world. If somebody dared share something that might help us if we were willing to listen, we're so ready to run because we're scared, because we don't want to get hurt, we don't want to fear. But when we need to desperately change something in us, you need someone to love you enough. Now, approach is everything. All the self-propelled prophets who feel like their job is to go around and correct everybody, if you don't have the capital of relationship, you don't have the right of correction. Why? Because Jesus was full of grace and truth. Order is significant. 
If, you, if someone doesn't know that you love them enough to be able to tell them the truth, then they're not in a position to listen because they'll think you're attacking them. And honestly, a lot of times it is an attack because you have a personal pet peeve about something going on because you haven't developed in an area of your life and you just think you're right. And that's the problem. But you see, if we're working and letting love work in our heart, you care more about what's going on in the person than your own personal preferences. And so listen. He goes on, listen. I'm going to jump here. The problem with division is this. Division is caused by what? Pride. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, reveals the root problem behind it all. And why is it pride? Because that was what caused the devil's fall. The devil said, listen, I'm going to raise my throne up over his throne, God's throne. He tried to be something he wasn't. See, pride has a sense of superiority to it. Because pride thinks my way is the better way. When, that, when realizing that all, in, in honesty, most human relationships, it's not a right or a wrong. It's just a personal preference. There are certain things that are right or wrong, but we make wars out of things that are inconsequential all the time. And the question is, is it, because listen, whenever I have the temptation to divide, what it's actually telling me is the presence of pride. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of saying, do not go beyond what is written. We do that all the time. We try to make the Bible say things that it didn't ever say. You can make the Bible say anything you want to say, okay? You can make a suicide doctrine, Okay? Where, where the Bible says Judas went out and hung himself, and you take another passage that says go and do likewise. You can make a suicide doctrine out of twisting the Bible to say something it never said. And we do this all the time. We throw the God card down all the time. Listen, when I'm in counseling, people will come to me and say, well, you know, Pastor Ken, God told me. I'm like, well, why are you talking to me? <laughs> Seriously, if God's told you, what, what do you want to argue with God? But we do that over-religious thing all the Well, the Lord said. Well, if the Lord said, do what he said. Why are you telling everybody else? You are not the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you that? So just obey what he told you to do and stop telling everybody. But you see, we want to throw the God because we want to justify it. Well, you don't want to tell you. Well, no, 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 no. I'm right because God is on my side. No, no. Pride. Just the, the sound of the word, listen, pride. What do you hear more than anything? I'd. See, I'd do it this way. People are, we we're, we're do that all the time. We, we criticize people in authority all the time. If I were the president of the United States, are you kidding me? You have no idea what's going on on a national level. Therefore, your opinion is based in total and complete ignorance. Can you admit that? You know what a theory is, don't you? It's a, supposition, it's a supposition derived upon ignorance of the subject under discussion. Because people have theories about a lot of things. But you have to prove what is true. Hold on to what is good. And the fact is we do this all the time. We throw that stuff down. But it's pride. It's pride. See, whenever I'm tempted to want to divide, it shows the presence of pride. And so when I have to ask myself the question, why is this bothering me? Why am I tempted to pull back? 
Why am I tempted to walk away? Why am I tempted to cut someone off so easily? What's going on in me? See, we want to focus on what's going on in everybody else. But again, if I put gospel glasses on, I look at them and I see somebody that Jesus died and loves. So therefore, what's going on in me? But here's the thing. Let me finish. Let me close with this. The ba- because listen, he said, this is what he said. I love this. You've got to read the whole scripture. Don't go beyond what's written. Because he said, then you will be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. See, whenever you're choosing sides, he's saying that's the issue of pride. Puffed up is another way of saying it that way. Some translations will say straight out pride. Okay? That's what it means. But you and I need to see. The bottom line is this. The gospel conveys that the, only the cross has the power to kill pride and produce unity. What's the cross? Isn't the cross what God was willing to do to reconcile me to him? Isn't the cross the willingness of what God was What did Jesus do? The Bible tells us to have the same mind in us that was in Christ. Who being in the form of God, thought, he, he thought it not, uh, you know, in other words, Jesus never used his divinity to his advantage. He didn't think being in, in unity with God was something to use to his own advantage, but what? Rather he made himself of no reputation took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. The cross is the place that flesh dies. Now God's not asking you to give your your physical life. But Jesus told us that to follow him meant to deny yourself, to take up your cross, The cross is where you take your pride to die. Why does it have to be my way? Why can't I do it the way someone else is doing it? Why can't I give of myself for the purpose of unity to keep us together, whereas I'm willing to allow the thing to split because they're not doing it my way? Because my opinion is not mattering in the the issue. You see, the Bible tells us that for the sake of love, We need to be willing to put our own ideas, our own philosophies, our own thoughts aside at times to find a way to work together. That's how you keep a marriage together. That's how you keep a family together. That's how you keep a community together. But you see, when we're too busy arguing, you know, see, we don't even have, we've lost civility. We don't have to talk to each other. Why? Because you don't agree with me? I'm not listening to you because my mind's already made up. You're just wrong and you need to know it. Listen to me, last point I make, listen. It's easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. I think I need to say that again. It's easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. See, the reason why we get into so many arguments is because we're too busy trying to make a point. And we never stopped and asked the question, and am I alienating the person from me? Or am I actually influential in my time? See, the church is too busy too often in culture trying to make a point and not recognizing that we're really not making a difference. See, Jesus didn't show up in the world to make a point. He came to give his life to make a difference. And the question is, at what point are we willing to lay our arguments aside to find where there is commonality, where there is a way to bring together, and open up the opportunity for true dialogue to see if differences can be worked through. But no, if we're too busy trying to argue our point, that's the problem. 
Because you know when that's happening to you, you're already not listening, formulating in your mind your argument back. You're not even, there's no understanding being given. There's no dialogue happening. And so why? Why? Why would we, as the people of God, after all that's been done to us, this is where we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. It's where we, when you put on gospel glasses, am I going to get into the midst of the divisiveness of our world? Am I going to stay united with Christ and have his mission at heart? Am I going to find a way to do everything in my power to find the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and to work together for what Christ gave his life for? Father, make them one as you and I are one.